Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee and welcome to Business Problem Solved. This is another episode of the mini-series, Real People, Real Stories, Real Value. And I have a real person with real stories and real value to talk to today, Sally Chapman of Shine Coaching. How are you? Oh, I'm really good, Ali. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm brilliant today. Doing yeah. great. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. But for those people who don't know who Sally Chapman is, then Sally, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've got to sit in that seat today. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I do know who I am, but yep. I don't know how I'm sitting in the chair. <laughs> so, <laughs> so who I am is I'm Sally Chapman. I live down in East Devon, beautiful East Devon. Um, and I recently founded Shine Coaching this year, in the summer of this year. Um, and how did I get to sit in the chair? Um, I don't really know. I think I'm a real person. Yeah, I am a real person. I haven't had like um, a tragedy or I haven't had an accident or illness and I haven't overcome it. I've not done a rags to riches story. Um, totally gobsmacked that you wanted to speak to me, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it all started, I think, that how I'm sitting in the chair is it all started back in April. So in April, I put a post out on LinkedIn asking people to share their podcast recommendations because I love running. I run every most mornings anyway, and I like to listen to a podcast and it's a way of learning. So I put this um, thing out on LinkedIn saying, please give us your podcast recommendation to people. Um, I, I have to say, Lee, nobody recommended your podcast. And I love it. So um, I was recommended by, I think it was a lady called Sarah Rudder, who I'm connected with on LinkedIn, and she recommended Ricky Locke's Unlocked podcast. Yep. Now, and the first episode I listened to was Ricky talking to you and you talked about your wonderful friend, Chris, and the three things that he said that uh, to lead a good and happy life, I think it was, I, before that he passed away from cancer. Yep. Um, so forgive me if I get this wrong. So it was about being the best, best person you are or being you, um, being surrounding yourself with people you love um, and something about being time, being short or limited or something like that. So I will remember. Just, yeah, I know. It completely touched me. Um, and I just reached out to you and connected with you on LinkedIn and thankfully you accepted and said, yeah, that's great. So we accepted. Um, and I think we had a brief a brief conversation on LinkedIn. Um, and then bizarrely, something else, we ended up being in the same WhatsApp group. So yeah. with, with <laughs> In guru coach you know extraordinaire he, he's got this whatsapp group so we ended up being in the same group we had a zoom call um and then you said do you want to be on my podcast and it, here we and are here yeah here we are indeed so that's that's our journey together um but what's your journey sally so i guess i guess what i'd really like to dig into here because this is this mini series is real people real stories what is your story how have you got to um to where you are 
and doing what you do. Yeah, how have you got to where you are and doing what you do? Well, how long you got? No, I will. I will keep it really short. Um, you've you've heard of like they talk about these squiggly careers or whatever it is. Yeah, they yeah. talk about squiggly careers. Well, mine's a bit like like spaghetti junction. It's like a complete mess. Imagine that tin of spaghetti and just like throwing it down. So I have no. I I know why I got here, um, but it's been a bit of a journey, um, and I don't really think that it's 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 not. It wasn't planned. None of it was planned. And I think that what I've done is when something's happened, I've seen I see my life as a series of little tiny adversaries or challenges. And and it's how you react to those and not let them get you down and just keep on going. So I think that's how my life has really panned out, because I had no idea 10 years ago, five years ago, I was going to be here or even like 30 years ago. So um, very briefly, lovely childhood moved around lots can't remember much about my childhood but we moved around lots with my dad's job and I think I was always me and my sisters we were always the new kids at school we had like we had a funny surname my surname was McElveen so um we had a Scottish surname but we didn't have a Scottish accent we lived in lived in Northern Ireland we lived in Birmingham we lived around in um sort of Reading area we always had this dodgy accent so it kind of got me used to being the new kid on the block um, and that's why I sort of love people. I love change, trying out new things. Um, yeah, school, bummed out school. Um, I wanted to be a vet, wasn't clever enough to be a vet. Loved animals, um, just not clever enough. Um, did a little bit of hotel work like most people do. And I think it's very important that everyone does. Yeah. Um, went to agricultural college. So ended up going to agricultural college to early 20s um I thought it was very mature I was a mature student but I wasn't very mature um went to agricultural college um to study business and accounts um but I actually you had to do some practical duties with it as well so you had to like do the, the milking the calf rearing sheep shearing you name it you had to do practical duties and I loved them absolutely loved them I've always been like a sort of outdoorsy sort of girl um so I left college with a distinction and instead of wisely using my qualification, I ended up um, chasing after some boyfriend and going up north near where you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I got a job on an outdoor pig farm. And yeah. <laughs> so relationship ended going, you know, what's it? It inevitably crashed and burned, came back home with a dog and cat in tow, I think, at that time, um, back to parents, um, and I got a job on an indoor pig farm. Now, indoor, they're very different. So if you think domestic cat and feral cat, yeah. uh, and how different they are, outdoor pigs are quite wild. <laughs> So, I, I, so I, yeah, sorry, I got that the wrong way around. I got a job on an indoor pig farm and then I moved to the outdoor pig farm. Yeah, that's the way, yeah, where it came. So I went and worked outdoors with pigs. Um, and I got attacked twice um, by different sows. So they're quite protective. I don't know if you know much. Do you know much about pig farming? Absolutely nothing. Right, okay. <laughs> so... I've got, I work with a guy called Brian a lot of the time because I was, I think I was about the only girl. There might have been one other girl, but I worked with Brian and I was the smallest, like as being females were a bit smaller. And the outdoor pig farms, sorry, I'm moving my hands. Yeah, that's all right, um, go for it. <laughs> 
they've got like the arcs, the, the big arcs that they sit in. And so when they have their young, they get quite protective, like we all do about our kids. Um, and I always used to, because I was the smallest, used to have to like get the sow out. And then, um, then you used to have to go in and, and check all the little piglets were okay and do all the sort of treatment that you needed to do. So when a piglet, I don't know if they still do this now, so I'm talking quite a few years ago. So when a piglet was first born, you used to go in and they've got really sharp teeth. Now pigs have got really strong jaws. So like they can really crush your, your arm. So with sharp teeth, that's kind of lethal. So what you go in is you go in with a pair of pliers and you cut their teeth, the sharp bits off. Oh, wow. I know. And then the other thing you do is you chop half the tail off as well because they've got really long tails. You're like, you yeah. know, the real curly long tail. So you chop the tail off as well because if they get hold of it and, and eat each other's, they chew, you know, when they're bored, they chew each other's tails like kids do. They play and they pull the pigtails, pulling pigtails, yeah? Oh, so, yeah. And that's where it all like they chew on the tails and then they, they start bleeding and then the, the, it's, it all gets a bit messy. So you chop the tails off, chop the teeth off, and we used to give them an injection of iron, and there was another injection. I can't remember that was. So if you can remember, imagine yourself as being a newborn piglet, and I come into your into your um, into your little warm house. We've chucked your mother out. My, my mate Brian is keeping mum at, at bay, keep holding a board to keep her at bay to get at me. And I'm there and I pick up each piglet, there's about sort of, I don't know, 12, 14 of them do their teeth, do their tail, give them a couple of injections. There's going to be a bit squealing. Yeah. <laughs> and twice, Brian let the pig in. <laughs> oh, wow. So I ended up in the corner of the, the ark, stuck in the corner with a big pig, with a like, big gun, and they bark when they're really cross. They don't, they go like, rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I don't know why I just did that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it still it still frightens me now. So that happened the first time, and she ate all the way up my arm because I'm trying to do this and like protect myself. And she got a hold of my arm, ate all the way up my arm. I ended up in A and E. Um, went back to work after that, and then we used to wean them. We used to send them up to Bristol. So when they were three weeks old, we'd send them up to Bristol. So we'd have to creep out at four o'clock in the morning when everybody was, all the pigs were all still asleep. And we'd quietly go down with our tractor and trailer, and, and then we'd hop out and we'd rattle the food things. So the mums would come out, the babies would all still be sleeping in their little huts. And um, yeah, mum would come out to have some food. Brian again, he'd, he'd put his board across. I'd get into the hut and then ha get pick up each piglet one by one and give them to the person on the trailer. So we'd nick them basically from the mums. Oh, wow. And put them on the trailer because we were going to take them up to Bristol so that, to fatten them up. Anyway, Brian again. I don't know whether he was half asleep or he had something against me, but the, the sow got back in. <laughs> and I can remember running out of that hut with this sow chomping away, chasing at me. And I just jumped into the trailer with all the piglets. <laughs> and I just said, that's it, never again. And I lost my nerve. You know, when you like, I don't know, if you're, you stood on a, um, and I, if you don't like heights or something and you're stood on somewhere and you get that really sick feeling. Yeah. And I used to get that every time the pigs would do this, this barking noise because I think they were coming after me. Yeah. 
So I mean, do yeah. you get do you get that same feeling when you meet anybody called Brian as well? <laughs> <laughs> I've not, actually I've known quite a lot of Brian, and I've often thought about having a cat called Brian. But no, I quite like Brian. Yeah, I quite uh, like the name Brian. Wow, wow. So I I, I do have to say, um, Sally, that that's the first time <laughs> that anybody has ever said to me, "Get your you've got to get your sows out." And that's the first time that that's been quoted on the podcast, which I think I might get into a T-shirt. I think that would be an amazing T-shirt. Um, so when you've... Uh, do, you, do you still spend any time with pigs now? No, no. I, I don't dislike them as much as I used to. <laughs> no? The, but I still get that feeling. Yeah. So, okay, right. So let's just pass that feeling just for, just for a minute. So... You were sat in the back of a trailer with all these little little pigs, piglets that have had the they've had the teeth chopped, the tails chopped, and they were well, being. They, they had that done at, at birth. That yeah. this was three weeks on. All oh, right, okay. So, so they, they but they've still got short teeth and short tails, and now they've just been nicked from the mum. And then yeah. you thought, and then you thought, okay, this isn't for me. This. Um, where do you go next? Where do I go next? Well, by this time, I met husband number one. And I'd, I'd, I think I'd, um, no, I don't think I hadn't had Jess then, my daughter. But um, yeah, I, I, um, I, ended up, I ended up working at um, the Donkey Sanctuary, in, which is down in, in East Devon, in Sidmouth. From pigs to donkeys. Yeah. I know, but I didn't work like hands-on with the donkeys. Um, I worked in the transport department, but yeah. So I don't know how I managed to do that. Um, I, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was with husband number one, and I had my daughter Jess, and worked at the donkeys actually. So I must have left the dog. So I was then like a full-time mum, and by the time Jess was about three. Um, Marriage was pretty rubbish, and I and I mean I would say I was definitely eighty percent eighty percent blame to my husband's twenty. I don't think you could always apportion blame just to one person, but I was definitely the eighty percent. Wow. Um, I just don't think it was. It, oh, I learned so much from it, but it just wasn't me. So anyway, that led to my sort of second adversity. So my first adversity was definitely getting the pig and, and having because I thought I was on a on a my 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 career to me was farming. It was I'd always I loved it. Yeah. Um but I could, then I realized I couldn't do it um and lost my nerve. So so yeah when the marriage broke up I ended with no home, small child. Um and I just had a dog at the time, Stanley I think. Um so yeah um but yeah I mean I believe in fate so I believe that things happen for a reason. Um, but I also believe that we make our own fate. So, you know, something's going to happen, whether it's good or bad to you. And, and my grandmother always said, you know, well, that's fate. But I also think that we can then, it's what we do with our fate um, that makes it. Yeah. So I don't know, I, I kind of had no job and I ended up sort of pulling together bits of money and doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Um, so I learned quite a lot from failed marriage, learned what not what not to look for in a, in a husband if I was going to have another one. Um, moved on and I was approached by a friend of mine and she said um, she, they wanted me to type up um, 
the it was like an electoral roll it was the millennium so everyone was like getting really excited about the year 2000 weren't they and she wanted they they were doing a village project and she wanted me to type up the electoral roll because at some point in my career my father had sent me to secretarial college so I could type because he said that everybody needs to learn to type you can always fall back on typing which is very good advice um so I ended up typing because they, they were going to pay me a small cash sum for it. So I was a strapped single mum, so I was going to pretty much do anything for my, my small cash sum. So I typed up this electoral roll um, and ended up going to collect my small cash sum from the local landlord who ended up becoming husband number two um, and who I ended up, I'm still married to, very happy that I'm still married to yeah. husband number two. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and that that was kind of like another little bit of fate, um, and that kind of threw me into the pub world. So ended up getting married. Um, we worked together for a while first of all, first off. Ended up getting married, and I absolutely I fell to pub stuck to water. Really, I just loved it. We Paul had been there since he was born, so his parents had a had a had the pub, um, and he'd been there since he was born. Um, so he's in partnership with his parents, but they sort of semi-retired. They moved out when we moved in, and um, and the pub went to strength to strength. We were like, I would say, we were just flying high. We won, um, we won awards. We won tentative pub of the year. It was like the Oscars of the pub world. So we went up to London Hilton. Clive Anderson, I think, presented us with an award. We won Green Pub of the Award because of all the stuff that we were doing to try to at that time save the planet with all of our waste. Um, yeah, we had like we had like really great plans for the pub. Yeah, but. His parents, having been there like 45 years, I think, by this time, just didn't, or they, they were they were sort of sleeping partners, more or less. Um, so they still had influence. So it was with real great sadness that we had a bit of a fallout. Um, and family and business sometimes don't work out. Um, and we left. So I suppose that was another bit of a blow, really, a bit of an adverse, because that was our home and that was our income yeah. for both of us. And Jess, I think, was probably about seven or eight at the time. So, you know, we had a child, we had a couple of dogs and a couple of cats. And, you know, so, yeah, we were kind of like, what should we do now? Um, We rented a house. Um, We both started working self-employed as I started working doing gardening. So I could, I love gardening. So I could flex that around Jess. So can I just, just start you there, Sally? Just, sorry, just for one minute, right? (laughs) It's a long way from coaching, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, and this is what, so you've gone from um, the from agriculture, from pigs to donkeys to to the pub um, via two marriages and a lot of pets. Uh, how? And, and, and what what strikes me as well is so there's two two things two words or two ways I want to go with this is one you've got, you've got a really positive outset and a positive outlook on everything, and I guess my first question is have you always had this this positive outlook and outset or is it something now that you can just do when you're looking back question number one and I'll ask you the second question after this answer um I probably didn't recognize that I had a positive outlook um but yeah I think I've always had a drive to just do stuff and do it the best of my ability so I have gone I always go into everything with 
thinking, you know, I'm going to a marriage, going to a job with all that enthusiasm and thinking that I'm going to give it, I always give everything like 110%. So whether that's a positive outlook on, I don't really know. Um, so I never go, I mean, no one goes into a marriage thinking it's going to fail. And no, not, hopefully not many people go into a job thinking, oh, I'll just do this for a little bit and then I'll bum out of it. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's where my positivity comes. And when things happen, I just see it as another challenge. Like, you know, when I've lost my home, it's like, right, what we, can we do? And I can remember looking for a house after we left the pub and Paul said to me, well, I'm not going to live there. And I said, well, why not? We can live there. Doesn't really matter. We'll just live there. We'll do stuff. And it and it's always been, it's yeah, it's been more looking at the things that you can do rather than the things that you can't do. Does that make sense? It do, it does make sense. It does make sense. And so when you when you gave that answer, you said that uh, you used the word stuff. You always like so. You said um, you said no matter what, it, or I can't remember exactly what you said, but you used to describe um, everything that you do is like stuff, like so it's like so random and so so the, your career has been so random and so varied um and and this is, this is what, what we've got to so far and we're we're still nowhere near coaching yet we're just we're just touching on gardening um but did you know what you wanted to do before you did it each of these different opportunities or is there something that you saw that just point or do you just think oh well, sod it i need to do this and i'm just going to do it um Sometimes I actively went out and found things that I wanted to do. So they'd they'd piqued my interest or I'd seen somebody doing them or I'd had a conversation. And other times they get presented to you and and you hadn't actually thought about it and you just think, why the hell not? Um, And a lot of those, yeah, a lot of my life's been around the sort of why the hell not? I'll give that a go. I reckon I can do that. Um, especially with the gardening, you know, I'd only ever gardened for myself and only ever been part of, my dad was a really, really keen gardener. Um, he loved his garden, but I'd only ever, I hadn't done any, I hadn't done it as a business or, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily know all the plant names or anything, but I can remember when I started doing my gardening and I ended up, I had, you know, I worked full time. I worked around Jess's school hours but when I, I I can remember going home each night and I have I still got it. I've got this like book that my dad gave me about gardening that you could like A to Z of all the plants. And I used to like devour it. And I was like, I know I want to know every single plant there is. I want to help my clients that I had so that I could do the best gardening for them. And that's I suppose that's how I go into everything, is like I'm like. And I never really saw it at the time, but as it was like that hunger to know stuff, yeah. know what I was doing, so that I could probably be the best that I was. Um, wow. Well, wow. not amazing. Amazing. So that's gardening. Where is it next? Well, gardening, so that I was probably been doing that for about two or three years. And then one of my friends from agricultural college, we were going to set up a little market gardening um, business because at that time, like there were car boot sales coming out and we were growing stuff from seed and we were going to set up this market gardening and and, and start selling stuff from like our homes. And, and I had a serious hockey injury. So, um, so basically, I just trashed my right knee um like my kneecap where it sits on the front wasn't sitting on the front anymore oh well what, um, it, what, it wasn't nibbled by piglets was it no it wasn't it was my own competitive 
um, sports uh, instinct that I was only even in a practice. I wasn't even playing a game. <gasps> wow. <laughs> and I went sliding across this all-weather pitch and my well, my knee went that, the bottom part of my leg went one way and the, my knee went the other. What is it, so, what, what, so, sorry, Sally, what is, what is it that gives you your drive? I don't know. No, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I have never really wondered what gives me my drive. Um, I just I just want to do the best that I can in anything that I do, really. And I don't think that's an answer, is it? it I mean, <laughs> it, it, could, it could constitute as an answer, but it's not the answer. Yeah, so the, the reason why I asked the question is because is. Some people are like have got this this belief that you've got to find your passion, and then and then if you find your passion, then your purpose will come, and then that will give you your motivation, and then you're you're aware because you're doing stuff you love. But what you've just articulated so far throughout your career is irrelevant of what it is, and bloody hell, it's random. Um, irrelevant of what it is you have given everything your your best and you've driven for it and you've you've not wanted to fail you've just put your knee out in a practice match at hockey um you have you were eaten by piglets and all of all of this stuff so i'll, I'll just ask you where, where does this drive come from what how have you got this drive instilled in you no i th- I'd like to think it was from my parents, and I, I, I can remember going looking back. You know, there were lots of times where I felt I let my parents down, but I really always wanted to do the best for them. And so everything, you know, even when I was even when I was at school, but then getting jobs and or you know, if I brought a boyfriend home, I wanted them to be proud of me to like what I was doing and be able to just say, God, look what Sally's doing. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it was definitely around wanting to do the best for my parents. And I suppose as I grew older, it then became wanting to do the best for, for, I don't know, it gives you a sense. It gives me that sense of purpose because I can't imagine, I cannot that's when I was in it. We'll get onto the HR world, but I could never really imagine myself as being one of these people that just got up and went to work and didn't really mind whether they had a good day. And it was just going to work, and then you come home and you just did the same thing. It was. I have to do. I have to do the best that I'm going to do, whatever I do, um, because that's what makes me happy, I suppose. If I'm doing that, if I'm not doing the best that I can do, I I feel that I'm letting myself down. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I I would like to explore it, but I mean, we're, we're midway through the story, aren't we, so far? So, um, so so Carol, so we're still up to the, the gardening, and we just you just mentioned HR. Is there a big leap between gardening and HR? Well, there's a little bit of a break. So obviously, I then damaged my knee. I couldn't I couldn't walk for about properly for about six months on it and I couldn't drive um so so I mean it was it wasn't like a break so what happened my kneecap basically went away from the front of my knee um so I ended up and I don't know how I did this This is another thing I don't know I, I, I don't know how I got this 
job. I don't know, actually, it's not a job. So I was stuck at home, but we didn't have any, well, Paul was earning money, but we, we had loads of bills and we didn't, we weren't earning a lot of money. So we had bills to pay. And I ended up getting a job at what was a local feather factory. You know, you're going to laugh at this. Uh, it's a feather factory and they make like, you know, on like the RAF, like the military things that they've got like little feathers on their hats. Oh, yeah. They're not their hats. They're not hats, are they? They don't wear hats. They wear like berries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were expecting me to go into HR, weren't you? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and they make these little feather things. Well, I started off because you could do it at home. And so Paul used to go and pick up the stuff for me because I couldn't drive. And then he'd bring it home and I'd be sitting, sitting there with my leg up on the sofa and... I used to make these feather things. Now I wasn't very good with the feather things. So they ended up putting me on bending pins because to make the feather things, you have to have a pin to tie your feathers to. And it does sound, it does sound a little bit simplistic, but there was a skill to it. And I got really good at it. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me based on what the conversation that we've just had. <laughs> so basically I'd get, I'd get a little piece of metal, which is like a long piece of metal like this. And they'd, be, they'd deliver hundreds and thousands of them. Paul would go and pick them up. And we had this like wooden machine that you have to bend it around and you had to like a handle, uh, you, you bent it and you had to do it all very intricately and diff at the right sort of spacing and everything. And I'd get through hundreds of these in a day. And we called it our pin money because it basically kept us going. Um, it put food on the table. So we had our pin money. Um, wow. So I did that probably. I don't know how long I did that for. It might have, must have been around about six months or so. And, and over the sort of year that my leg was sort of, and that I was going and seeing people and I got my operation and my leg was getting on the way. So I thought, right, I need to get a proper job. Um, and I ended up getting a job at a school. And I don't know why they employed me because I had no experience, but I must have done something at the interview. So they employed me. And, um, and yeah, and Jess was just starting secondary school. So that way I thought, well, I can, you know, fit it around her and I can still be around for Jess. And so I got a job in reception. Um, and within about a year, I suppose, I was um, promoted internally. So I applied, so I was successful in getting this internal promotion. I ended up with managing my own team um, and I noticed a gap in their HR provision. So there was a, it was a state school, so they didn't have much of an HR provision. So, and I kind of ran with it. So I don't know, I persuaded the leadership team to fund me and give me the time to put me through my HR degree. Um, and I suppose by the time I left there in 2013, I had a postgraduate degree in HR management and I was an integral part of the leadership team. Um, and, I, and I can't tell you how I did that, but I think it was probably just because I just gave it my all um, yeah. and just really enjoyed it. I love the people I was working with. Um, by this time, and I know there was a switch around here because as you can tell, the RAS lot didn't really have any... <laughs> There was no sort of focus to where I was going. And so I became quite ambitious once I started working in this, this more sort of like serious world of work. I became quite career driven. And and I and I, I realized as I got it was Sidmouth College that I was working at, and it was a, a, a state school. Um and there was nowhere I could go. So I got my HR degree and I was like, hey, I'm a big I am. I know, you know, I'm, I, I can rule the world and that sort of thing. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to leave because I can't get promoted here anymore. There wasn't anywhere for me to go. 
because I didn't have any teaching qualifications. So there was only so far you could go. So it was a real heavy heart. I left that job. Um, and um, that, that was the longest time I'd been anywhere. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And But I didn't think the world was my oyster. I, I thought, because I'd never had a degree before, I thought, yeah. okay, you know, I'm really clever now. I can go out and do stuff. Um, and um, no, it was quite hard blow because nobody wanted to give me a job. Um, they looked at my past career. Yeah. Thought, yeah. So just a, just a quick question again, Sally. So so we, we've identified that your journey has been one that's been full of drive, and then you've just added the word career driven um, at, at, the, at this point. Where at the time when you've got your degree, you've become you've changed from driven and doing every job the best of your abilities, irrelevant of the job and randomness that we've just spoke through. And then you've got a degree, and then you've become career driven. Is it the was it the degree that that made you career driven, or was it something else? I I don't know. I don't know what it was that made. I I I always regretted. Well, regrets not the right word because I bummed out of school and didn't go to university, and a lot of my friends did and got their degrees. Then they always felt like I. I I could have done that. And maybe if I had done that, I wouldn't have had that, that sort of strange 10, 12, whatever, how many years of weirdness that I had beforehand. Um, and and I, think, I think it was going back into education and realizing that I can do something other than all of this practical stuff that I can do. Not that I didn't love doing all the practical stuff, but I could apply my brain as in different ways. Yeah. Um, and I suppose I then started mixing, you know, I, I was then part of leadership teams. I was part of, um, you know, I was studying with other HR managers, H, you know, I was in a different environment. And I think I, it, it came to me that there is other stuff I could do out there and I want, and I want to be the best at that. <laughs> Yeah. And so yeah. Um, so yeah, I did I did then I couldn't get a job. So I left, I did leave, I did get a job, but I left Super College, which was a, a well-paid job, permanent job, very secure, management team, part of the leadership team. And I be I took a job as an HR administrator on a temporary contract. How did that feel? I was excited. It's a really yeah. I was when I first started trying to look for jobs and everyone, I didn't even get interviews and people wouldn't look at me. And I was thinking, yeah, I got my degree. Look, come on, I, I, I can do this. Um, and no one would look at me. And then, and then it kind of dawned on me that I was going to have to, everyone kept coming back to me saying, oh, well, you haven't got any experience in the corporate world. You, you don't know what business is all about. You know, we can't employ you. You've only worked in a school. And I was just thinking, that seems really unfair. Um, but I just kept applying for stuff and then I kept I, I suppose I lowered my expectations and I was thinking okay because I, I started applying for HR manager jobs you know at that point thinking I because I'd been basically doing that role at, at Sydney College yeah and even more so and and so I start I thought that was where I'd go in at my entry level and when I started to get those jobs, then I started going down to like sort of HR advisor and I didn't get those jobs. And then I was like thinking, well, I'll just have to lower my bar. 
so that's what I did. I just lowered my bar and I got and I couldn't even get a permanent job. So um I yeah, I took a risk um and took this <laughs> took this job as an HR administrator at RNS. It was out at RNAS Yeovilton. It was for Babcock. And um within two to three months, my job was at a risk of redundancy because Babcock lost the contract Carillion or somewhere like that I can't remember there was like uh, they lost the contract and so basically we were all at risk of redundancy and I, I'd only just joined and so I was going to be first out yeah so that kind of started a series of me doing a, a number of HR roles and if anyone looks at my you know my LinkedIn they'll see that I've got a lot of HR roles and I just did that in to get as much exposure and experience as possible in all the sectors while I climbed that ladder. And that was my drive because I'd been told that you needed that experience. You need experience in the corporate, you need experience in different role, industries, different roles. And so I had no idea where that ambition came from. I just, I just want, I, I was going to be like HR director by the time, I don't know what age I would be, but I was in my 40s now and it felt like time was running out. So I needed to make something of myself. And I don't know where that came from, because looking back now, I can't see that being important to me. But at the time, it must have been important to me. Yeah. Um, a big part of that was I'd lost my sense of belonging. So when I was at Sydney College, I belonged. I was, I talk about part of the tribe or whatever it is, you know, I was part of that. I was part of that. The, everybody knew me. I knew everybody else. I felt like I belonged. And in all of these other HR roles, I didn't feel I belonged. Um, so there was that 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 restlessness. There was the restlessness of not feeling like I belonged, but there was also the the feeling that I I had to get up to the top of this ladder, whatever happened. Um, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. And I I also was battling with that need to think that I needed to know it all. So and I hear this now a lot still from you know in in groups that I've been in with HR is that they talk about is imposter syndrome. Now I didn't feel like that at the time, but I just felt I needed to know everything, and and I wouldn't and and or I couldn't do my job well. And and that is absolutely crazy thinking that you could know everything. And I, you know, I always thought it was a real failing of mine that I didn't know everything. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah, so there we kind of we're kind of nearly up to present day. So if we just go back to we're in 2021, aren't we? Yeah, I've like, Something like that. I've had to go. I've had to go through a bit of a journey there. Um, so so if we go back to last year, 2020. I was in an HR manager role, and I was on a. Um, I had left a permanent job because. I, uh, I'm very values driven and something was happening within my HR manager role um, and I decided I wanted to leave um, and I was in this maternity cover role and I'd already kind of, I, 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 I was really getting quite, I suppose my, I think your intuition, we talk about intuition, but you get to know yourself as you grow older, I don't think anybody, I know I didn't know myself at 20s, 30s, you know, even 40s, I was much different. Yeah. So I was, I knew something wasn't right. And I kind of like thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave the HR. So I was, I'd already resigned thinking I was going to leave my maternity cover contract early. Um, and only to have COVID 
I'd, I'd resigned and I was planning on leaving, I think, in at the beginning of March or, yeah, because, and, and then I think on the 17th, something came out on the 17th of March about COVID and, and then it was like, we all start needing to start working from home for a little bit or something. I can't remember what it was. And yeah. we, had, we didn't have a CEO at the time. It was only a small organisation. We didn't have a CEO. We'd have recruited one, but he wasn't due to start in April 2020. And we only, and I was part of, there was this very small exec team, which I was part of. And I just thought, I can't leave everybody in the midst of this pan. Well, well, I didn't even know. We obviously, no one knew it was a pandemic then. But there was just so much to do in terms of working from home and making sure everybody was okay and all of that stuff. And I, so I rescinded my resignation. I said, look, I'll stay on, I'll support you. Um, so I did. Um, and then, and yeah, I don't regret that at all. Uh, and so for the next three months, like everyone else, I work from home um, and very much part of my role and what I, well, it wasn't part of my role, but is what I did was I was in contact with people daily. I was phoning them up. I was checking on their mental health. I was getting them resources, just being that person to talk to for a lot of people, because a lot of people really struggled in those early few months. Um, at the same time, running the day-to-day business of HR, um, co- it, in doing the induction of a new CEO into the organization and all of the changes that come with that and all of the insecurities and uncertainties that come with that. And I think by May, June time, I wasn't in a particularly good place. Mental health wise, I was not in a good place. Outwardly, you would think I was fine. And I'm, I, you know, I, I was like on like big health kick. I was running every day and I was telling everyone all my daily habits and how good everything was and how, how to look after yourself. And, you know, I was exercising and I was in touch with everybody, but nobody checked in on me. That I had no one at work checked in on me, really. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I kind of thought, oh, do you know, there's got to be more. Um, so I called a meeting with the exec team and I and I said, oh, you know, I need to discuss the end of my contract because I obviously been in HR. I would normally do that for other people. Yeah. Um, I'd get I'd say, right, we need to discuss the end of their contract. And I was thinking, well, this is me. I need to discuss the end of my contract. I'll have to call the meeting then, I think, about me. <laughs> so I I put a meeting in the diary and I I kept pushing for it and I got this meeting in and and, and they were just really surprised because they asked me to stay on and I said well, I'm going to leave at the end of my contract you know I'm sorry I'm going to leave and that, that's where I'm at I, I, I need to do something else um, so yeah I left and that felt like whew, yeah that felt good felt really really good um, and I suppose at that point I decided that I was going to train to be a coach I'd done some I'd always probably been informally coaching in my HR role. And I think you just do, but you don't necessarily realize that you're doing it. Yeah. I'd been a couple of coaching workshops in a previous organization. I'd done a two-day workshop with the exec team and I'd done some NLP training, so practitioner training in business. So I knew I was going to train to be a coach. Um, and I we'd set aside a bit of savings for me to have this time out. Um and so I was like, oh, right, that's what I'm going to do. And then within a few weeks, I started getting like really oh, anxious and like, oh, what should I do? I'm not working. This is the first time in my my life I have not done anything. And it felt really, really weird, really strange. I think I missed the connection uh, and missed having a purpose of 
getting up in the morning and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so I took a temporary job working for a drug and alcohol service. So yeah, I, I, I thought I thought your your career changing had stopped at that point and we were just about to get to shine coaching. But oh no. <laughs> we're getting drugs and alcohol. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what you've needed after this long journey. <laughs> So, yeah, um, and it was a local organisation in Exeter and I've always admired them and wanted to work for them and just that the service that they provide is brilliant for people that need it. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I felt like I, I, I said, lots of people went through that in 2020 about that need to want to give back and do something, you know, and I was back, like, I was, I took this job and earning £10 an hour or something, which is crazy after what I'd been doing, but the money side to me wasn't, at all important it's never been a driver even when I was going up the HR ladder the the drive was not the salary the drive was something different it was me it was internal so I took this job working um this drug and alcohol service and again within probably in a few months I didn't I thought I knew quite a bit about drugs and alcohol I don't I, you know, being in a pub, I thought I knew everything there was to know about alcohol. And I, I you know, drugs, I thought I, I knew a bit about them, but I knew nothing, nothing about. And it's not just the drugs now, it's the whole, it, it, it's this, everyone's got that reason. No one chooses to go down that route. So yeah. there was so much to learn. And so much, and I got back into that HR head that I need to know everything. And I, I was never going to know everything. Um so, and, and I was ending up working full time for them, but doing it over four days and then realizing that I was actually paying lip service to my coaching training. So, which is what I wanted to do, because I was thinking that my coaching, that it would like work alongside. So the, the sort of people skills and coaching skills, because it's a, a lot of it is around about changing, you know, having a goal, you know, whether you've got drugs and, and a drug or alcohol addiction, you've still got a goal to come off it. Yeah thought they would be work quite well but again I got caught up in the like I need to know everything about drugs I need to know everything about alcohol I need to know all the stuff and then I was thinking well I'm not I want I, I've got to do my coaching which I've invested money and time in and I want I, that's what I really want to do so I decided it and I needed to do this so in January 2021 I said to the, the drugs and alcohol service I said I'm going to focus on my coaching I've got to give myself that chance because this is what I really want to do so yeah we are we are here we are at we are at shine coaching um so yeah I have been I and I don't know where I went through this mindset set mindset shift and I think it was through my coaching training because as even when I was working in drugs and alcohol I had this feeling and when I was in HR that I had to even if I think about when I talked to you about the book and gardening I had this feeling that I had to know everything in order to do a good job and I had to do it on my own so my mindset set I keep saying mindset shift (laughs) my mindset shift (laughs) has changed and I don't know when it happened so now I am so excited that I have so much to learn and I don't know who can help me and I'm going to ask lots of people to help me do it and that is what happened in the last year and I don't know when it happened wow and that's been the the most wonderful thing for me is that I I'm loving coaching but I'm not thinking I need to know it all yeah I'm just 
so excited about how much I can learn. And that's where the, the shift has happened. Yeah, love that. Love that. Thank, thank you for sharing that as well. Um, the whole the whole journey there. I used to think that, um, and, and when I start some of my talks, I say I've had the, the most random journey that I know to get to where I am today because I've, uh, I've, I've had a bouncy castle business, I've DJed and blah, 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 blah. I don't think I can say that anymore because I think I think you might have had the most random journey of anybody that I actually know. You started the podcast as well, Sally, by saying um, you didn't really have a story to tell. Uh, and I, th- I think 50 minutes later, I think, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's all right. You don't have to apologise for telling your story. 50 minutes later, I think you've got plenty of a story to tell with plenty of lessons in there as well. So if you were to give yourself a piece of advice um, from, say, uh, just before you started working in the um, in, in the very first pig farm, the very first, before you went working to the very first pig farm, whether that was the indoor or outdoor, I've forgotten, um, what would you get, what advice would you give to yourself? This... It's, yeah, um, I don't really know. I mean, I, I'm thinking of all those things like, you know, I, if I was to look back on it, it's about getting to know me. And it's a little bit a bit like what your friend says, is just be really comfortable with me. And I don't think I've, I've not really been a comparing sort of person. You know, there's that that saying about comparison being the thief of all joy, comparing up. You know, it's about living your own life. And I think I have lived my own life. But I suppose my bit of advice would be to me, because my parents had a, like, you know, my my dad joined the army, but then he ended up working for Shell. But my mum knew she wanted to be a teacher. and, And I thought I had to know what I wanted to do when I was 18 or even before then. And because I couldn't be a vet. It all went, um, I won't swear, it all went completely up in the air, right? So, and that's where my journey then started on on this thing. So I suppose my bit of advice is to people and to myself, is don't worry if you haven't got a big goal. So it's finding out what, and actually, now, now you come to think about it, I've got a workshop, I've got planned, but it is finding out about, what success looks like to you at the moment. So lots of people, I'll ask that to my coaching clients, what does success look like to you? And quite often people look like quite far in the future, what success might look like to you. But I think you need to know what success looks like to you in the here and now and what happiness is in in the here and now and what's important to you in the here and now. Because I think if you have all of those things in your here and now and make the best of them, the other stuff will come, so the big goal will come, and be prepared to know that your, whatever your goal is, it's going to change. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely looking more at the here and now. Try not to look too far ahead in the future, because I think maybe I did that, um, although I did throw myself in. But, it's yeah, my advice would be don't worry about the future, because it's going to come and hit you like a whatever, really, and like, you'll like- deal with it. Like a pig out of a, Brian, <coughs> a, a Brian's gate. <laughs> um, well, whilst we're talking about the here and now, Sally, um, what are you having for your tea? What am I having for my tea? Um, it will be something with something with leftover roast chicken. Oh, I thought you were going to say pork then. 
No, I, I, I roasted a chicken yesterday, so it'll be something with leftover roast chicken. Um, and yeah, maybe a risotto or some pasta. Or something. I love, I create, I like creating stuff out of nothing. So I like nothing better. None of my meals are the same. If I wasn't coaching, I would cook. I love entertaining. So that's that's one of my biggest loves. There's nothing, I love nothing better than have, having a party at home and, and doing loads of cook, cooking up a storm and making people. So I love looking in the fridge and thinking, oh, what the hell can I make? And so my husband never gets to eat the same meal twice. Yeah. Um, and it's just what's ever in the fridge. It's a bit like your jobs, isn't it? You've never had the, the same <laughs> job twice. <laughs> Oh, you found you found a pattern here. Yeah, oh. yeah, amazing, amazing. Oh no, honestly, honestly, Sally, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. Um, uh, what uh, if, if people wanted to know more about you? Where would they go? What would they do? What would they find? Okay, um, so I've got um, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. So Sally Chapman Shine Coaching. Um, you can find me on shinecoaching.org.uk. Um, I have today just launched a new um, group coaching program with a um, a colleague of of mine, a fellow coach um, called Kate. Ashmore from Rebel HR. So we're providing a group coaching program online. Um, at the moment, it's fully funded. So places, places are free. Um, it's an, over sort of three months, well, October, November. And um, it's basically giving something to the HR leaders in our world because they've been through so much in the last 18 months because both Kate and I have worked in HR and we recognize how much that they give to other people. So it's just giving a, a little bit something back to them. So we're going to do some group coaching around that and give them some time and some space to think and, and also to go away with some sort of, you know, um, strategies and some actions to take back into their own workplace and develop themselves. Um, so that's that's also on my website. Um, but yeah, um, come along. I'm, I've got like I've got a shine workshop coming out, hopefully in the autumn. And I've got my one-to-one coaching that I'm doing. And I'm also starting to work for an organisation, local organisation called Nutrury, which is a social enterprise. So I'm going to work with them on a self-employed basis, um, doing partly with helping with the business, but also some coaching as well. Um, and they're into weight neutrality. So they look at people's relationship with food and change how you have that relationship. So throw diets out the window. Um, and it's all around sort of self-acceptance and non-judgment amazing amazing stuff i just want to say thank you again so much for your uh, for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know that amazing journey that you've had sally to get to that seat that you're assigned today so honestly th- thank you so much for that good luck with everything that you've got going on and hopefully um i'll get to hear more about it in the uh, in the near future yeah thank you leah it's been great fun actually <laughs> <laughs> cheers sally speak to you soon Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver, or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.